0: this is cq future and i'm sean zeller we began this series last year to examine how the pandemic was influencing public policy decisions this week we are reprising some of our podcasts to mark the one-year anniversary of the moment when most americans realized the magnitude of the threat and states began to shut down The National Restaurant Association says COVID-19 and state lockdowns have forced more than 100,000 restaurants to close in this country. Those that have survived have had to adapt to constantly changing rules, capacity limits, masking requirements, and outdoor-only dining. They've laid off and then rehired staff, sometimes multiple times, and they've shifted their businesses to emphasize takeout. The pandemic has also made winners of some, especially fast food outlets with drive through windows. I talked to one of the survivors, Andy Shalal, the owner of the beloved Washington, D.C. casual dining chain, Busboys and Poets, about how he's adapted and how he sees the industry's future. Andy Shalal, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us.
1: It's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me.
0: So, Andy, you run a beloved restaurant chain in Washington D.C., Busboys and Poets. You are also a very successful entrepreneur. In this awful pandemic, how are you doing personally?
1: Well, personally, I'm doing okay. I think uh, you know it's a it's a day by day kind of situation right now. We're looking at every day and every day you assess and you try to figure out how to do things and you try to learn and adjust and pivot. I mean, we're learning to pivot every moment. So it's really about constantly uh, being able to adjust and readjust so that we um, continue to survive through this period of time until things go back to some sort of normal.
0: How's your business doing? You know, we're,
1: we're, we're doing okay. Uh, you know, it's uh, there are days we're doing better than others, I think, and and uh, we have we have businesses in three different jurisdictions, and so we have Virginia, Maryland, and D.C. And each jurisdiction has its own rules and guidelines and what to do, what not to do. Some of them are open, you know, already into phase three, like in Virginia. Others are in phase two. Some are still in phase one, and so we're still kind of trying to figure it out.
0: How has this affected your workforce?
1: Well, greatly, obviously. You know, the workforce was. Uh, was hit very hard. We're a high-labor kind of um, business, and uh, we hire a lot of people, and we have to lay off a lot of people. So we started out about 650 uh, people at the peak when when the uh, lockdown started, and we went down to about uh, 100, and now we're back up to about
0: 250. The government offered these Paycheck Protection Program forgivable loans for small businesses. Were you able to take advantage of that?
1: Yeah, we were able to get some of that money. Um, I think uh, if it's not for that, it would have been a lot more difficult. And who knows what could have happened? We could have even closed. I think for many businesses, that's probably true. Uh, The... um, the, the plan is very complicated in how we get the money and what is forgivable and what is not. So we're still navigating through that process to try to figure out how we're going to fare out at the very end of this.
0: What are you hearing from other restaurants? Do you, do you feel your experience is pretty typical in the Washington area?
1: I would say we're probably fearing better than many. Uh, you know, uh, there are, there are some, some businesses that have always been, you know, been focused on carryout and for that kind of thing, and they're do, probably doing better today than they were before. Uh, other businesses that are more kind of sit down fancy restaurants probably not doing so well uh, we're kind of in the middle of the road, uh, which uh, you know we had we had our carry out infrastructure we had our online infrastructure already in place, so it made it a little easier to quickly switch into that. Uh, people you know were familiar with us delivering food and 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 doing carry out and stuff like that so I think it made it a lot easier for us to uh, to go into that direction but you know, a lot of restaurants are probably not going to reopen. I mean, I think that's probably a fact. I had a chance to talk to Tom Colicchio on one of my Zoom calls that I had a conversation with him. And um, he, was, he was saying probably close to 80% of restaurants will not come back, which is a very large number. Uh, I heard that a Yelp review, uh, a Yelp survey just came out and said about 60% of restaurants will not reopen. So I think these are these are numbers that are quite alarming and frightening, uh, frankly. But I think I think because we're still in that PPP mode, you know, we're still there's some money in the in the system. People are still getting unemployment. There's less of a sense of uh, of uh, you know end in sight at this point. So I think people are looking hopeful to try to move uh, to move on this uh, uh, and hoping that things will either you know, improve or, or, or change at some level.
0: You know, with people doing more of their shopping online, uh, the city's main streets are really more and more about restaurants. That's what brings vitality in a lot of urban areas. And with the kind of loss you're talking about, it'll have a huge ripple effect, I would think, for our main streets. Yeah,
1: I think it's not, it's, and it's not just an economic one. It's also a cultural one. It's also a psychological one. You know, restaurants are a major part of American culture. People go out to eat. More people go out to eat than eat at home. So we've become very familiar with that setup where we go out and entertain and uh, meet friends and have parties and so on. And we are also gathering places, uh, places where we have conversations on many issues, uh, on things, on the elections. You know, election watch parties have become a thing. You know, this is a big election year. And so it, it seems that uh, it will have an impact, not only economically, but also many, many different ways. Also, when you're walking down the street, you know, restaurants give a, a community a, and, a, and a city's identity in many ways, right? I mean, there are, there are restaurants that are iconic for certain cities and certain places. And you go there, the first thing you go is to that place. You know, you got to go there. Those things are getting lost at this moment in time. I am hopeful, though, that I think that um, in time, this will. You know, come to an end, and we'll figure out a way to uh, be able to get back to some sort of normal.
0: Explain to our listeners why is it that restaurants have suffered so grievously during the pandemic?
1: Well, we are the opposite of what we're supposed to do, right? Uh, They're telling us now you can't gather, you have to mask on your face, uh, you you can't be in uh, close proximity with others, and we are just everything that is not. You know, we are gathering places where people are in close proximity. We have uh, a a lot of workers in in any given restaurant. So they're always intersecting, interacting with each other. There are kitchens where people have to be in close proximity to one another. Um, You know, the the issue of, it's a high touch kind of business. You know, you're touching silverware, you're touching napkins, you're touching chairs, you're touching tables. It's a high touch space. So, and you can't put a mask if you're eating, you know, you, you have to take the mask off at some point. So it, it it becomes a lot more complicated in a, in a restaurant. It's different than an office where you can put barriers between the tables. I mean, between the desks. Uh, you know, allow people to sit further apart from each other, mind their own business, and go home at the end of the day. This is very different. We have to intersect with each other and interact with each other. So it makes it much more difficult to um, to adhere to this specific guidelines. Even though I think for most restaurants, people I know, and certainly for us, we have been very diligent about going overboard to make sure the sanitation is great, that make sure that we wipe everything down, that we make sure that every time somebody moves from a chair or table, that gets wiped down completely. We have sanitation products at the entrance. We have signs everywhere. We have extra masks if somebody forgets theirs or or comes without one. We have all these things in place, uh, but still, it's, it's, it's complicated.
0: You often hear that restaurants operate on very low profit margins. As a result, if you're required to you know if you're allowed to reopen but you're required to limit capacity, does that just not work for most restaurants?
1: For most restaurants, it's not sustainable. It may work for uh, in a momentary level just for 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 just day-to-day cash flow, but it's not going to be sustainable over time. You still have fixed costs that you have to take care of. you still have other costs that have to come into play. And you're absolutely right. Restaurants have very thin margins, single digits most of the time, uh, if at all. And, uh, you know, the other part I think that made this pandemic even more devastating to many is that it came at the uh, at a moment where it was the beginning of spring. And for most uh, restaurants, most businesses that deal in, in the public and that kind of situation, uh, it is the biggest season for us. Uh, you know, spring is... Jam-packed here in D.C., as in many cities in the United States, spring is where people start traveling, they start getting around, they start going out more, and uh, we had events, we had conventions, we had festivals, we had parades, we had all kinds of things lined up, and those bring lots and lots of tourists. D.C. attracts about 20 million tourists a year, and uh, those numbers are pretty much dried up. Uh, the museums, uh, the places where people come, and then afterwards they go out to eat are gone. Uh, right, right now they're not they're not operating. So it's 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 quite a bit of of change that's happened uh, because of this.
0: The mayor uh, in Washington, Muriel Bowser, has asked you to serve on a committee thinking about reopening the city. You're on it with a number of other luminaries: Chef uh, Jose Andres, Susan Rice, the former ambassador to the UN, Michael Chertoff, the former Homeland Security Secretary. What are you talking about on that committee?
1: Well, what we're talking about is is certainly not when to reopen. That is not in anyone's purview. Is that depends on the health department, depends on the statistics that are coming out, the the cases, the hospitals, and the needs that we have in the city to manage the caseload. Uh, What we did talk about is every uh, every group uh, had its own sector. I was in, of course, in the restaurant and. And um, and retail and bar sector, and we had uh, you know our our charge was to set up guidelines of what it would look like if we reopen. Some of those guidelines being wearing mask when you're indoors, making sure that you have sanitizing fluids at, at the at the entrance, making sure that you know you wipe down all the tables after somebody leaves. All of these things that uh, that we 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 set up as uh, industry guidelines for the different industries. So there was like. The sporting industry there was the entertainment industry there was the restaurant industry there was you know other every industry had its own subcommittee and I was on the restaurant of course in industry to talk about what it would look like feasibly and so we had a lot of um, conversation about about the um, the way that uh, for example a bar would open Okay, like bars are a very unique kind of situation where people are standing and, and, and hovering and, and congregating in, in areas. Of how do you decide how far people need to go? You don't go to a bar to stand by yourself six feet away from somebody else. You go to a bar to meet people and have a conversation with them. Then how do you know whether you came with that person or whether you met them there? How do you know there's more than four people? All these restrictions and rules were becoming really, really complicated. So a lot of it is left to the common sense of the operator. And, of course, the, the customer, whatever the customer is comfortable with. So a lot of this stuff is kind of we are figuring it out as we move, as we hear, as we learn about this, uh, this virus. There was an, a, a thought, I think, at the beginning of this, this was going to be a much shorter process, that it was going to get warm uh, and suddenly things will get a little bit better. It does seem like we're going in that direction at this point. We're trying to do the best we can, uh, given the information that we're getting every day.
0: Your expectations for the number of restaurants that may go away is, is alarming. If we get a, an effective treatment or a vaccine at some point in the coming months, is it possible things return to what we remember as normal? Or do you see a fundamental change?
1: I do think that things will go back to some sort of normal. Of course, uh, it's not without a price. You know, A lot of people have been hurt and, and uh, many families have been devastated by this. But I think in due time, you'll see that, um, that we will go back to probably where we were. Now, some, some, of, some of the restaurants and businesses that I know have started to change. They're using technology differently. They're reassessing their business model. They're, so this is a moment also, I think, uh, that shouldn't be squandered for many businesses. This is a moment where actually you can sit back and look at, like, what would I have done Differently, had I started over again, you know, how many times you get to restart, right? So I think a lot of businesses are looking at it in that way. Certainly, we are uh, to see how we can do things better that we think can be done better, and trying to use technology, trying to use um, you know uh, the way that we have our menu, the way we we procure all of these things. Additionally, I think what's 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 happening is recognizing that. Um, that eating out has gotten very, very cheap, and it's at a price. It's at a price to the workers. It's at a price to um, the the way that we operate. So I think, from business model perspective, I think people are going to have to expect to pay more. People are going to have to expect to see a rise in prices. We're already seeing uh, a fairly substantial rise in prices because of. The way things are, are you know, um, being harvested and, and being gathered and so on is taking time and transportation and, and sanitation. All that is costing for us internally, you know, having to constantly be sanitizing, hiring extra people to make sure things are done. Those come at a cost. So I think people are going to have to recognize that they're going to be paying more for going out and for eating out.
0: We've seen some innovation in the industry. Uh, restaurants selling specialty food products, yeast and flour when those were in short supply. Uh, we've seen restaurants taking over street space, cities allowing that them to, to set up tables in the streets. We've seen those sorts of innovation, restaurants adapting. Do you see any of that continuing once we get back to that more normal state?
1: I certainly hope so. I think some of the things that have come out, like the street dining and being able to order uh, alcohol online, all those things, I think are great. Um, they're, they're things that I think uh, uh, we have not been used to in this country, although Europe and other many, many countries throughout the world have always had uh, street dining and, and uh, where they close streets certain times of uh, day or, or certain days of the week to allow pedestrian traffic to make it more enjoyable. And I think that's that's a good thing uh, that's happening. Hopefully some of these things aren't just going to be temporary, but they're going to be more permanent. That was one of the suggestions that we made uh, on the reopening uh, uh, task force is to uh, have these types of things become more uh, more standard and not have to reverse back to where we were before. So that's, that's a great thing.
0: We've also seen during this time, of course, uh, the Black Lives Matter movement rise and great concern about racial justice in the United States. Do you see that as affecting uh, the restaurant industry going forward? For example, I know in D.C. there was talk about changing the way workers are paid uh, without the the minimum wage for tipped workers, which was thought to hurt minority workers.
1: Yes, uh, absolutely. I think, I think there is, uh, th- this movement has been going on for some time to eliminate tip wages because tip wages are a thing of a bygone era. Uh, that's I think a, that's it, a
0: lower wage, a lower, below minimum wage that restaurants pay thinking that uh, tips make up the difference between that yes. and the real minimum
1: wage. And in cities like Washington D.C., for the most part, that does happen, where uh, the the tips make up the uh, the 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 difference to the minimum wage and way beyond for many people that work in the restaurant business. But I think overall, it's a it's a it's a system that I I I believe is somewhat broken and needs to be uh, fixed.
0: So, Andy, you mentioned how your how restaurants are kind of community gathering spots and that's particularly true of your chain busboys and poets i know my daughter her school had a talent show at your your location in brookland will those come back will we see that again someday
1: well and let's see if schools reopen first you know it's 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 so much going on now so much unknown uh, I I do believe that things will get back to some kind of normal. I do believe we'll see these things again. I, I just don't know what the time line would be. I mean, I think it just depends on how quickly we get a vaccine, how quickly we can see this uh, this virus, uh, you know, somewhat disappear or or become less uh, less impactful. Um, people. That are in the restaurant business are used to having uh, curveballs thrown at them every which direction. Uh, we're constantly having to uh, change and, and figure things out as we move. There are power outages, there's floods, there's fires, there's, you know, people get hurt uh, sometimes, whatever. Things happen uh, where you have to um, constantly be on the lookout for uh, a pivot. Uh, and I think this, of course, is a much bigger one than we used to. But um, overall, I think you'll see us going on the other side of this relatively quickly in terms of the overall um, lifeline of a business. Having said that, I do understand because restaurants are unique in the sense we are a heavy cash flow kind of business. We pay uh, yesterday's bills with today's income. And when the income dries up, you have a, a tsunami that comes at you. And you may never recover from that because that could be quite a lot and uh, devastating. And like we said, when the margins are small, it's going to take a very, very long time to uh, recover and, and a, very long, uh, a very long time to be able to pay off those uh, debts that keep piling up uh, that don't stop because you have fixed costs, you have rent, you have uh, uh, utilities, you have insurances, you have uh, fixed payroll, you have um, equipment, things that go bad, you have All kinds of things that happen that you have to do even if you serve one customer. So, uh, you know, then you have to make sure that you have enough customers to make up for that, plus make a little bit of profit. So it makes it um, a little bit more complicated, but I really believe that uh, those who are going to uh, withstand this and, and last through this very difficult time will come out on the other end stronger and probably more prepared to meet any new challenge.
0: Andy, on the one hand, you said that you expect a lot of restaurants not to survive this, but on the other, you, you expect that we'll return to some sense of normalcy once we get a, an effective treatment or cure. What does the future landscape of restaurants look like in that scenario? Will we see a burgeoning of new independent operators, or will our main streets be filled more with national chains?
1: Well, you know, it's, you know something, it's the independent operators that are going to last through this anyway. I think the national chains, uh, they look at the numbers and they see the numbers don't work, they just shut down the place and move on. I think the independent operators have a lot more at stake. Uh, they usually are mom-and-pop operations where that's their whole livelihood and they have to make sure that it works no matter what. So they're going to put a lot more effort obviously in making it happen. Um, I do believe that it's going to require a lot of work on everybody's part because right now here, for instance, D.C., and it's no different than many other cities throughout the country, rents have gotten very, very high. Uh, Landlords have done uh, a lot. I mean, uh, they they have reaped many of the benefits of this economic boom that we've had. So landlords are going to have to uh, scale back. Uh, they're going to have to work with the tenants that they have, especially ones that have been loyal to them, have been there for many, many years, some decades. Uh, so I think it's going to require everybody to kind of reassess the way things are working. Uh, we are. Uh, I am part of a small coalition of restaurant owners and operators uh, who are talking to each other about how to approach our landlords? What is acceptable? What is workable? Uh, you know, you can't not pay rent. Obviously, landlords have their own obligations as well. But you got to be realistic. Uh, you can't just uh, kill the restaurant uh, to, you know, pay the rent and and then have an empty space that goes on. So it's in everybody's interest to make sure that restaurants continue to operate and continue to do well. Um, I, I speak to a lot of operators that are quite pessimistic uh, about the outlook. I, 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 I don't disagree with that at all. I think the numbers are showing that when, when the Yelp survey says 60% of restaurants aren't going to come back, that's a pretty devastating number and, and pretty alarming. Um, DC is, you know, we're already seeing one after another after another of restaurants saying we're not coming back. And I think the longer this period of time lasts, where we have no end in sight, in a sense, I think the more you're going to have restaurants fold up, um, because either they couldn't work out a good deal with the landlords, or they were they had a business model that was already too sloppy or too weak uh, to make it work. Uh, and that's and I'm and I don't mean that in a in a derogatory way. Maybe the word sloppy was not appropriate, but 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 sometimes you know during uh, times of uh, lack of scarcity during times where things are going well, we tend to bloat ourselves. Uh, I think many, many operators do that. And we've had a fairly long run of a a solid economic boom for many, many retailers, many restaurants here in DC. We've seen hundreds of new restaurants open, uh, sometimes open very quickly, sometimes uh, making deals with landlords that are of the moment. And not thinking in terms of a downturn, uh, because you know we have not had a downturn for over 10 years, 11, 12 years, maybe. And so that period of time, for a lot of operators that got into that period, uh, had not seen a downturn from before, they don't know of a downturn. They think it's going to go on forever like this, right? So they've signed leases and, uh, and, and, and uh, set up certain business models that are based on best economic conditions. Uh, Well, when you do that, uh, the minute anything changes that, you're uh, going to suffer.
0: And Andy, when we come out of this on the other end, and if indeed we have a lot of empty storefronts that used to be filled with restaurants, is the risk equation going to have changed and those aren't going to get filled as quickly as they once would have?
1: I think the smarter landlords uh, know that. And I think think they're going to make deals that uh, hold on to the business they already have. I don't know many people that are signing big leases right now. Uh, I don't know many people that are jumping and saying, yes, I can't wait to open uh, a restaurant. Uh, uh, maybe a retailer, maybe an office space, maybe something like that may not be out of the question. Although office spaces are becoming less uh, less important now that people have discovered Zoom, you know, it seems like a lot of people are saying, you know what, uh, stay at home. Maybe it's better. We don't have to pay rent. You can still be productive. You can still do the work. So I think there's, there's going to be some changes like that. And I think uh, people that own uh, spaces are going to have to really become much more open to more creative ways of uh, retaining and holding on to the tenants they have, uh, especially the tenants that have been there for a long time and have been paying their rent uh, regularly and have been good for them.
0: It seems like if there is a shift to more teleworking in the future, that could also shift where the restaurants are. You could see a boom Absolutely. in neighborhood restaurants and a depression in... Downtown financial district restaurants.
1: Yes, yes, and we're seeing we're seeing some of you know we're talking about business models, some of the changes that are happening. For instance, some restaurants are doing what is called ghost kitchens, where where they have maybe four or five different restaurants, quote unquote, coming out of one location. Uh, so uh, you know you order like it could be you know we're busboys and poets, and from it could be uh, you know finger looking good chicken or something like that can also be coming out from the same kitchen uh, because it's being delivered. So people are trying to maximize the spaces they have and maximize the use of the spaces by having alternative menus on top of other menus uh, and, and, and doing them as a, as a to-go business or carry out business or an online business. So a lot of virtual business like that are being developed right now. And I'm hearing this over and over again where people are using already existing kitchens for a certain restaurant to produce products for a different concept out of the same kitchen. Uh, so you're going to see some of those types of changes happen. Because like you said, if you're going to go to teleworking, for instance, a lot of people are going to be ordering probably online and then are going to be next door to an office building that's going to be you know, their lifeline. So you got to be prepared to do the offline uh, type of uh, business and delivery.
0: What about food halls? Those have been booming before the pandemic in a lot of cities, including Washington. We got Urban uh, Union Market, for example, which draws huge crowds. It really is not conducive to pandemic dining. Uh, <laughs> on the other hand, I can see in a future past the pandemic that those kind of small stalls probably offer lower rents and quicker turnover that might uh, be useful.
1: Yeah, I, I I don't disagree with that. I think um, yes, and you're right about the low rent and more of a pop-up kind of situation where you don't have to commit to a long-term lease uh, to see where things go. I think people are going to be doing a lot of experimentation before they commit to long-term leases at this point. So yes, those type of places may even become more popular because it makes it uh, easier for an operator to open and then if it doesn't work, close. Um, you know, without having to uh, uh, put out a lot of capital right off the bat. So I think I think you're I think you're right. Um, I, I I do want us to not 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 um, not project too far into the future, because as sometimes I think these these moments uh, we tend to extrapolate into much much further uh, targets than we are capable of even uh, recognizing or uh, being able to predict. And I think. It's it's uh, sometimes it's almost better to think in short term as opposed to constantly be thinking much longer term because you don't know where things are going to change along the way. I think you should have a focus for what your business is and stick with that focus and not keep keep uh, uh, you know obviously pivot and change to adjust to continue to move forward, but keep your eye on the prize, keep your eye where you are, and not go too far off off uh, off the rail because I think. Um, this will pass and you will see it uh, at some point to think like, oh, I should have just hunkered down for a little bit and figured it out uh, a little bit later. So not to go overboard with changes and drastic uh, shifts, but rather um, look for uh, ways to sustain oneself during this period of time uh, so that they can go back to some kind of normal.
0: We thank you for joining us today, Andy. It's
1: a pleasure to be on. Thank you so much for inviting me.
0: that's it for this episode of cq future please stay tuned to this feed for future editions for all of us at cq roll call i'm sean zeller